0: Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 634, Rapid Random Friday Facts. In the bank on the break. Watch out. The Hello, Big Chillians. Welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. Joins us with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going?
1: Yeah, things are going pretty well.
0: How are you? Not too bad. I uh, spent this morning getting to my office and eating some breakfast, and I was reading a nice little article that uh, selectively popped up on my Yahoo News Feed. It's, from, right, Good... it's from Good Morning America. <laughs> okay. How cosmetic leg lengthening surgeries are luring patients <laughs> and <courting> controversy? <laughs>
1: Uh, how, how inexpensive slash reliable would cosmetic lengthening surgery for your legs have to be before you like considered it
0: slightly? Uh, you have to be a little more sp- like, I still have to go under the knife.
1: Yeah. So let's say it got to the point where someone said, look, we can definitely add two inches to your height. It's, it's, a <laughs> it's a three month rehab process, but it's not an awful rehab like you aren't going back to no i'm
0: not doing that you're not doing it (laughs) no i'll just wear those shoes that add like 30. what if
1: what if it had been available when you were 16 17 and then you thought to yourself
0: no because i thought i was still gonna grow
1: (laughs) (laughs) what what age did you give up on that on that
0: dream uh, about six months ago.
1: <laughs> well, for Christmas, I'll get you the legs like lengthening surgery so we can the dream is still
0: starting alive. at $72,000. And apparently it's extremely painful.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, they like shatter your legs, right? Like they... they
0: break your legs and they put a rod in that separates the bone in your legs. And then the bone grows back like 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 around the rods.
1: <laughs> I mean, obviously, I say this from a slight position of privilege.
0: No, you know, the from, lo- a, the, from higher, a little higher up <laughs> at the
1: lofty height of six foot two. But I cannot understand why anyone would do that again. Like if it got to the point where it was relatively straightforward and not where, I don't know, they were injecting your bones with some kind of sort of hormone or whatever that was generating bone growth. You know, if, if we really sort of got to that stage and maybe as part of that, they had to, slightly fracture your legs, but not in quite a horrific of a manner, but to, you gotta be in a, your height has to really, really bother you to be willing to a, spend that amount of money and B go through that. Well, I think it is.
0: I'm sure it's, I'm, I would bet you 95% are extremely rich people who have like that inferiority complex because they want to be like the boss of the room, but feel like they can't because of their height. But if you're interested, Eddie,
1: (laughs) I don't know how much, I don't know if we're going to be like, hey, look, Steven can't be CEO. He's not He's not tall hey. enough. But then no, he no, no, hovels, no. I'm saying – He hobbles into hey. the boardroom a couple months later. <laughs> like, wow, Steven, I don't know what it is about you, but you've just got more confidence.
0: But Steven's already CEO is what I'm thinking.
1: Oh, he wants to tower over Elon Musk.
0: Yes. But uh, it is uh, now streaming on Hulu in one of the episodes of Impact Nightline. They've done. The a thing whole is, I, I
1: disagree with you. I think it's mostly people who have a lot less money than you think they do. It's like those crazy stories about people who turn themselves into
0: cats and stuff, you know? And, they, and they've <laughs> no, spent those like are just psychotic. That's like the one percenters of those no, things.
1: No, I, I'm not. But those people, they will be like, How much have you spent on your cosmetic surgery? I'll be like, $1.8 million. And it's like, and then you find out they just work in Costco, like stocks, like, you know, stocking shelves. And I never understand how they've managed to make the economics of this hobby of theirs work. Like, it's a real shame, because if they applied themselves to something slightly more meaningful, they'd probably be able to take over the world, but instead they're just trying to fund, you know, cat transition surgeries.
0: So one of the people, I guess, on the episode on Hulu is a man named Hugo Ramirez, who says he carries many of the hallmarks of the billion dollar box office star his muscles protrude from his body while simultaneously sporting a shaved head and rich tan. The entire package comes draped in expensive designer clothing. He says he is often wait, it says at first glance he is often mistaken for Dwayne "The Rock" Johnson. Now I'm going to share my screen and laptop here and you tell me if this guy looks anything like Dwayne "The Rock" Johnson.
1: were you fooled did i fool you at first glance yeah yeah second take i kind of figured it out for those who obviously listeners we'll put we'll put a picture of this up on our instagram and twitter so that you can you can see for yourselves uh good opportunity i guess to say if you're not already doing so follow the big chill podcast on instagram and x just search for us there and you'll probably find us
0: The crazy part is it says you can gain about one to three inches. And if you choose to, you can do it like at the upper leg muscle, uh, upper leg bone. And then after everything is recovered, you can do the lower leg. So you theoretically can add almost up to like six inches of height. This guy's doing both. That is crazy.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's also... I would be, if you're going to do it, you would think you'd want to do like a one or two inches where maybe you could get away with people who knew you not really being totally certain that something in you has changed. You know, like, ah, it seems like Frank's a little taller, but but if you all of a sudden came in, you were six inches taller.
0: I mean, but what it's would just be funnier, <laughs> even funnier than that though, is like, you've, you've been gone for like eight months and then you show up and you're just six and you're half a foot taller. Hey, where'd you go? Oh, I just went on vacation for a really long time. I had to decompress. Decompressing went, did wonders for my spine. Really, yeah. I
1: went, I went keto too. I went keto. I think it's that. Now, speaking of article suggestions, I also had an interesting suggestion on my uh, daily sort of perusing of the internet.
0: Oh boy! And that is this, is this an Instagram or Facebook?
1: No, this was just like, it was on a sort of aggregated news website that I read. And this one related to... Fox News. No, the percentage <laughs> of people who believe in superstitions when it comes to watching their favorite Wow, that
0: is directed. <laughs> Specifically for sports.
1: Specifically for people watching their favorite sports person or sports team. So they didn't necessarily focus on an individual sport, but it was a a poll of 2000 people. And it asked them a variety of questions surrounding uh, their sports related superstitions.
0: Because here's, yeah. So I'm interested to see what they say, because my take always is that people will do the superstitions just because I think they want to be part of it. Like they want to think, you know, like they had some factor, they contributed, even though deep down they know they don't. And I think even though deep down they know that whatever they do in their room, apartment, house will have zero impact. The crazy part is people like you who genuinely believe you do have an impact.
1: (laughs) No, so I don't genuinely believe I do,
0: but I also don't genuinely
1: believe that I don't. (laughs) And I think the thing that's going to worry you is... There's more people like me than there are people like you.
0: No, so, I think that should worry you. <laughs> no.
1: Well, in a way it these does. These are cause... the same
0: people that are doing cosmetic surgeries to become cats and dogs.
1: <laughs> well, and also what happens when I'm up against one of them? If we both right. think that our superstitions work, what happens when we go head to head? So, you know, can we out each other in the power of our superstitions
0: or do we just cancel each other out? But are there this, examples of superstitions here?
1: Sort of. So they gave people sort of general, do you do this sort of thing? So 25% of people car- revealed that they will carry out what is classified as an unusual ritual ahead of a game to help improve the luck
0: of their team
1: or the person they are supporting.
0: Ahead of the game? So even before ahead of the, the game. game. Yeah. Okay.
1: Then 23% must sit in the same part of their house when watching a game. 24%, this seems very European and it makes sense because the I think the poll was entirely carried out in the United Kingdom, but 24% of them will kiss the badge of their beloved club or nation either ahead of the game or during the game. (laughs) Now, this one's really in my wheelhouse. 22% will refuse to watch a match with a specific person who they deem to be unlucky. (laughs) That is good. And then during tournaments, 23% of superstitious sports fans said that they will not wash certain items of clothing until their team has been eliminated. Oh my god, what is wrong with people? <laughs> <laughs> and then this one I didn't totally get. 22% said they will sit in the same lucky seat within a stadium. now is it your <laughs> se- I mean, you're probably a season ticket holder if you're going to like multiple matches within a season and if you're not, you know that that one seems a bit of a stretch to me.
0: So Now, that one to me seems the most interesting because I can foresee the scenario that someone goes to the match, goes to the seat that they last saw their team win, where they sat at, and like, tells the person, hey, listen, I know my seat is 27 rows behind yours, and it may not look like it's a good seat, but, but what if I told you the last time I sat in your seat, we won the playoffs?
1: This might be no, a hack.
0: Not, he's got a one in four shot, according to this poll, that that guy might believe him.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, maybe this is a hack to try and upgrade your seats during a game. If the team you're supporting starts to lose, you just move to a much better seating or sort of spot in the stadium and try and convince people that you must sit there if the if the turnaround is going to happen. And then you got to really hope if it's like a season ticket holder who agrees to switch with you well then they might just have to hand you their season ticket for the rest of their lives. It then continued 22, uh, 18%. This one seemed low to me. 18% will call on a higher power or say a prayer. If they feel their team or favorite athlete needs a boost, I would have expected that to be significantly higher. Even again, if people like don't really believe in a God or aren't super religious, I would have just thought there would have been a moment. A lot of people sort of throw out a little prayer, even though they and, don't think it does anything,
0: man, this poll is is quite is quite insightful. It's showing you that more people believe in superstitions than God, and they do in a higher power. Yeah, or
1: maybe it shows it God.
0: No, that is such a joke. But let <laughs> me sit here with my feet crossed and uncross them six times in a row before this kick, because that's gonna win it. Well, maybe. That's real
1: maybe more maybe enough religious people hopefully have decided that their god or gods won't care about the outcome of a sporting event and so religious, choose really
0: the athletes it seems like oh, they come sure. really we'll to that
1: topic afterwards because that's, <laughs> okay. that's a that's a that's something I've got to speak about uh and then 58% believe in luck both good and bad and and 10% believe that they're their favorite sports team or person is generally unlucky. So
0: that's... <laughs> well, the luck, I, yes. I mean, I don't know if if like luck is something you believe, if it's like a belief, but there exists a point where things just happen.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends whether... Yeah, but you know, the Bill Barnwell would tell you there's no such thing as luck, right? There's no such thing as momentum and these are just things that occur to you there's a week like luck is applying a sort of additional meaning to an event that just happens to have transpired. Now this is the one that really appeals to me. So of those who are superstitious or have these rituals, 91% genuinely believe that the outcome of an event has been impacted by their
0: rituals. (laughs) That is insanity. (laughs)
1: And then the the final little bit of data, 56% have had a gut feeling in the past that their favorite athlete or team was going to win. That one doesn't... I don't really know how to read into that one. Like, If you're supporting Manchester City and they're going into an FA Cup tie against a non-league team, you're like, my gut tells me they're going to win. And they did. It was the overwhelming favorites, but they didn't let me down.
0: I wish they would have asked the question like if the ritual involved you never watching your sports team again and it guaranteed they would like win the championship, would you do it?
1: So they do have, I think they had one. Let me look back through these percentages. So 23% of people said they would stop watching their team or favorite sports person if they felt like that would help them. That's so that kind crazy. of, that kind of addressed it. Now that is like leaving. That's like turning the TV off. That isn't, yeah. I'll never watch the San Francisco 49ers again. Now here's the thing is I wouldn't make that deal. You could tell me that I, but at what, like there was a certain moment in time, like what's the point? If if the reason why you want them to win is to get some pleasure, but they get to win now and you don't get to witness it.
0: You don't know, you get to witness did. it, but you still get to celebrate in the fact that they've won.
1: Yeah, but then everyone would say, "Did you see the game?" No, but I'm super happy about it. You get no, f- and-
0: but they can thank me for why yeah. they won. <laughs> yeah, you just be a lunatic
1: on the side of the road. Now, speaking of right, we've had plenty of conversations about what my Instagram algorithm decides to uh, put in front of me. <laughs> I'm now getting bombarded by r- sort of. Clips of athletes, owners, coaches speaking about their religion.
0: And... <laughs> what?
1: And yeah. This is the thing. Like, if I scroll through, if I just go to Reels and scroll through it, I'd say 5% are of... There's one particular one, which I think is... Oh, wise. this
0: is because you sent me the Harbaugh one.
1: Probably, yeah. I have engaged by sending a message. And now yes. I am just overwhelmed. So I think that there's one particular one, which is called Christleith. Christ christly christly i'm my my oh boy. mouth is not allowing me to get around that word the combination of christ and you
0: mouth in your marbles yes
1: <laughs> that is and the thing that's interesting right is it is not only clips of people
0: as it routinely says
1: giving all is glory it, to god
0: is it actually it, clips of like they show the angels behind them picking them up to make the catch no. like an angel's battlefield. No. The they actually have a no. sneak peek behind the view
1: No, but in addition to that, they are trying to build like it's a conspiracy that, you know, mainstream media is not showing us these clips. So they will be like, did you see that interview with Lamar Jackson after the game? They didn't show the initial bit where he gave all glory to God. That's because mainstream media doesn't want you to know that athletes are religious, which I feel like if you're watching the NFL and you don't have some sense that pretty much every athlete in there is pretty religious, you are really doing well to ignore it. But it's everywhere. Jurgen Klopp featured. He's actually more religious than he probably would have thought. So he's he's been on there. Well,
0: yeah, because I've never been able to see it because they fucking remove it from all his interviews. It's true, mainstream media.
1: It's, it's
0: one of the things they're really
1: focused on. But yeah, it's been um, it's interesting, and the comment section is as toxic as you would expect it to be, with really? definitely some.
0: Couldn't have seen that
1: definitely some trolls who are asking at times legitimate questions it goes back to my question about two superstitious people going head to head one of them is like well what happens like a lot of it has been brock purdy because he's obviously very much flavor of the month and he is quite religious and he does thank god for pretty much everything he does and he was asked for example you know what he was thinking about when they needed that comeback and he said he had his faith in Jesus. So he knew that Jesus wouldn't let him down. And that comment section in response to that particular interview was, well, what happens on the other team with the other people who also believe in Jesus? Well, why did Jesus let them down? And which I think regardless of your religious views is a legitimate question to ask someone. And yeah. uh, it descends into
0: very unpleasant reading very quickly. I mean, it shows you that Jesus has favorites. That's all.
1: Yeah, which he definitely told us in the Bible. That's, what, that's one of the things. But yeah, it's sure to feature in the Super Bowl, obviously. I'm sure Jesus will be praised endlessly by either the athletes or the owners or the coaches. It's interesting. Now on to a lighter topic, statistic, that I, to continue this random set of topics that we're covering. I don't know if you saw the statistic from a couple of weeks is like ago. Ra-
0: rapid fire random. <laughs> it
1: is. One of the more you're you're a big stats guy. We know that. You're always on record Love with stats. that. I it came up during the uh, Lakers game on TV a couple weeks ago that LeBron James has now played against 35% of NBA players from all time. Did you see that stat?
0: Oh my god. Really?
1: Yeah. So LeBron that James not be true. It's true. I, I went away. I had that initial feeling. Crunched you the numbers. You calculated
0: it. You went back. You crunched the numbers.
1: Crunched the numbers. So he's played against, he's been in the in the league for 21 seasons and he's played against about 1,800 players. Which How long has
0: it. the NBA been in existence?
1: Oh. I mean, this. when did the merger happen with the ABA? In the 70s? Right? I mean, there was the NBA before that, but you also had the ABA. I don't know how but there, in total, there have been 4,800 NBA players in the history of the NBA. And he's played against uh, 1,800 of them, basically. But what they didn't say, which is more even more remarkable, Uh-oh. that isn't the most.
0: That isn't do you the take player a, with the most.
1: No. Do you want to take a guess at the NBA player who's played against the highest percentage of all-time NBA players?
0: It's got to be someone old, (laughs) like who played for a while,
1: played for a while. So he played uh, 22 seasons.
0: Oh, wait, 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 wait. Is it Vince Carter?
1: It is Vince Carter.
0: No way. Really? Yeah. That is (laughs) the most impressive thing I've ever done on this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) I probably haven't watched an NBA game in. Probably since we, 12 years. Since, since Vince, Vince Carter, Carter retired. retired. <laughs> that was
1: the breaking point for you. You're like, if this league doesn't have Vince Carter, I don't want to watch it anymore. But uh, yeah, he played 22 seasons, and he played against basically 37% of the players who played in the in the NBA.
0: Oh, I'm so glad I got that. For some reason, I was think trying to think of Vince Carter, but in my head, I was thinking Tracy McGrady was the name. I had to, I had to unwrap that. <laughs>
1: It is one of those statistics, you know, when you see them that it feels unbelievable, you know, and then when you do crunch the numbers and you think, well, 21 seasons, that is, I mean, that's basically a third to a fourth of the history of the NBA anyway. So it kind of makes sense from, from that perspective, if you've had that kind of longevity. So it, it would make sense. And you then factor in, well, you're, it's weighted towards more modern players because there are more teams now, the more players within the league. So obviously, if you go back and look at like Wilt Chamberlain, well, there were a fraction of the number of teams, so he couldn't play against as many players over the course of the season. So someone now is always going to play against more players than someone from the 1960s. So it, it makes perfect sense, but it's still mind-blowing to to really think about. Well, I think that's... Oh, I've got some random. I got some (laughs) rapid
0: randoms. Keep going. All right. I've got three Super Bowl related topics. Okay. I'll give you, let's start with the slightly easy one. How many quarterbacks from the 2018 Draft class where in the first, this is just the first round, they had five quarterbacks selected. It was a very famous draft class, 2018. They had five quarterbacks selected, second highest ever. How many of them have now made a Super Bowl?
1: Um, okay, so that's the Baker Mayfield number one year, right?
0: That is the Baker Mayfield number one year. Is it zero? It is one.
1: Yeah. Oh, is this Sam Darnold? Is a because he's a but he's yes. a backup.
0: Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson, and only Sam Darnold is the one to have made a Super Bowl as of now.
1: Best best picks then. I mean, what are the what are the Jets <laughs> complaining about?
0: Exactly. All right, rapid number two, Eddie. Brock Purdy, quite young. Maybe one of the youngest ever to start in a Super Bowl. True or false?
1: I think he's the second youngest. I think I saw this,
0: maybe. Is he the second youngest? He's not the youngest. He's the third youngest. Third youngest. Do you know who is the youngest quarterback to ever start a Super Bowl? Hmm.
1: Is it recent?
0: Um, Like in the last twenty years? No.
1: It's not this century. No. Is it in the nineties?
0: It could have. It had to have been probably late. No, it was probably eighties. No, it was definitely eighties. Now I think about it.
1: Joe Montana.
0: Nope. Dan Marino fuck, started off so young, made it so quick, but yet never won. Last question of that. Is Brock Purdy younger or older than the first time Patrick Mahomes made the Super Bowl? Um,
1: So you're either asking, is Patrick Mahomes number two then in the youngest quarterback list? We yeah, know that from that previous information. There's only one pe- one person. Mm-hmm. I I'll say that Mahomes was younger
0: first Mahomes time. Mahomes is older, so Brock Purdy will be 24 years, one month, 16 days. Patrick Mahomes was 24 years, four months, 18 days. So he'll be three months younger when he hopefully starts in the Super Bowl.
1: <laughs> yeah, something. Did you see that clip? Of uh, that was going round, of uh, York, the Niners' owner, speaking about our president, I guess whatever his title, official title is, speaking about how Kyle Shanahan came to him during preseason last year and said, "Hey, we've got a problem," and he said, "Oh, what is it?" and he said, "I think our third string quarterback." Is our best quarterback. So this was obviously <laughs> when uh, they had Garoppolo and Trey Lance also there, and he said, "Don't worry, we're not going to make a change to the draft as a rookie." The, um,
0: or was that his second? Yes, year?
1: that was his second year, wasn't it?
0: No, no it was his rookie year. No, he didn't start that was his rookie his year.
1: Yeah, and that's crazy. Uh, and he basically said, well, "Look, we're not changing the depth chart now, but at some moment in time, Brock Purdy is going to be the." quarterback the starting quarterback for the
0: san francisco 49ers yeah i'm sure that's what he said he's probably like this trey lance guy's awesome (laughs) because according to reports that you told us for a year and a half trey lance looked phenomenal at training camp
1: well just that i mean just think how highly they obviously thought of brock purdy because trey lance (laughs) was tearing up trees as well and brock purdy was even more impressive
0: Uh, last one trivia Quite tough, I think, unless you've heard the answer.
1: Often the case with Trivia.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean like this is one of I don't what you, think you will be able what you're to guess. Saying, but, yeah. So if McCaffrey were to win the Super Bowl for the 49ers, he will join with his father a selective group where only one other father-son duo have won a Super Bowl for the same NFL team. So McCaffrey, his father won while playing wide receiver for the 49ers. And then if um, Christian McCaffrey were to win, they would become the second father-son duo to ever do that. Do you know who the first and only so far father-son duo is to win a Super Bowl with the same NFL franchise?
1: Um... No, this is pretty tough because I'm trying to think, like, Howie and Chris Long both won Super Bowls, but not with the same franchise. And I'm trying to think of other father-son duos. Uh, I think that's the only one that I can think of. I'm sure there's several, but it's the only one that comes to mind immediately. Yeah.
0: It's probably not coming to mind, Eddie, because it is one of the most unique positions in the NFL, and that is the long snapper. Oh, fuck that. I don't know if this really even counts. Zach Diossi of the New York Giants won the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots, and his father, Steve Diossi, also as a member of the New York Giants, won a Super Bowl, also as the long snapper. So the D'Ossies of the New York Giants
1: yeah, it was you could have given me a million years and a million dollars. I would have yes. not I wouldn't have not got close on that one. And I, I genuinely I don't think I can even come up with another father-son duo in my in my head, so that already makes it tough.
0: Yeah, there's not many in the NFL. A lot more in baseball. But I mean, I guess you'll have a lot coming up quite soon. Cause you have Frank Gore's son is coming, Marvin Harrison's son is coming. Uh trying to think of some other recent ones now that are coming through the pipelines.
1: It feels like it's more and more common for... Yeah. And I guess the reality is, right, as sort of, in a sense, it's counterintuitive, but as training becomes more and more of an element of becoming a professional athlete, the benefits of growing up with a parent who was a professional athlete, who can both help you in terms of that approach to training, and then also the sort of finances and access to and give to allow you to do all of that. It's going to help people more than it used to like, but feels like every sport now is more common.
0: Well, it's also sport, a lot sport dependent, because you're seeing a lot now in basketball, but that makes sense to me. Because just the natural height element of basketball, of needing to be tall. Wait until those legs, leg <laughs>
1: surgeries kick off. And then Shaq's but, kids won't spend a chance.
0: Because, I mean, in the NFL, I think the most famous one will be the Mannings. But then besides that, like you start to like uh, Clay Matthews. I know his father played. That was one. Yeah, of I mean, that the Matthews,
1: the Matthews have like five don't they in total across their family they have another one of those sort of familial dynasties in a sense and that's the thing you see a lot of the other factor that's always an element too right is genuinely believing that becoming a professional athlete is a realistic opportunity when your parent it's like any job that your parents have you know if your parent is an astronaut you're probably more likely to become an astronaut because you actually think normal people become astronauts, whereas otherwise you're like, that's a pipe dream. There's no way I can pull that off. And same, like if you grow up in a household where it's like, oh yeah, my dad plays in the NFL, you think that becoming an NFL player is like becoming a dentist. Like it's yeah. something you can do versus the average kid who thinks, I need a lot of things to go my way.
0: Or maybe head coaches with uh, Mike and Kyle Shanahan.
1: Yeah, and a, lot been, a lot's been – Lots well, been made right of that two thousand and thirteen Washington coaching staff that's now like dominating the NFL. They've now got five head coaches out of their yeah. coaching staff from a a season when they went to three and thirteen, I think. And maybe we can touch on that at a later point. But maybe that shows, maybe that hurts Bill Belichick, the argument of is it coaching or players?
0: Maybe. Well, it definitely hurt Bill Belichick because he was passed over for one of those coaches. <laughs>
1: it's true. Yeah. In other sports though I guess, random quickfire, right? I don't know if you saw the big news coming out of Formula One, that Lewis Hamilton will be switching teams for the 2025 season. He will be joining Ferrari,
0: which is an interesting development. I saw that news. I have no idea what it means.
1: Well, it just means, obviously, there's only two drivers per team, or two cars per team, so two available seats. And uh, he will be leaving Mercedes to become a driver for Ferrari, which... Does Ferrari that give him bit,
0: better or worse chances to win?
1: I mean, I guess you're at a little bit of time out, so it's hard to be certain of what those respective car strengths will look like in 2025. Um, but based on the last couple of seasons, Ferrari have been a bit more of a factor in races than Mercedes have. So, based on that trend, you'd say he will have a better chance to win and have a better chance of securing that record setting world championship title which i'm sure is the thing he's hoping he can get before he retires after he was sort of robbed of it in that dramatic finale a couple of years ago elsewhere transfer window in european football maybe wasn't as exciting Uh, spending overall was way down on previous seasons so I think there was something like £750 million less spent this January than last January across all European football. So it was a fairly quiet transfer window overall. Part of that as a result of a little bit of crackdown on teams for financial fair play. So Newcastle and Everton can't really spend any money. Chelsea have pretty much spent all of the money that they can spend for the time being. So a lot of clubs, if they start to really uh, you know, enforce those rules a little bit more strictly on top clubs, then we're definitely going to see less spending over the next few windows.
0: I mean, do you, who do you think needs to spend right now the most
1: uh, it definitely hurt in Newcastle. You would say you know they've got a small squad, they've been hit by injuries, and they're trying to make that step to that next level. I mean, it will be a disappointment for them, obviously, if they don't get Champions League football this season, then it will feel like they probably missed an opportunity there to try and cement themselves as a top four team. So I think Newcastle maybe were the were the ones who are most hurt by that inability to spend and in particular too, right? Because with the way the financial fair play works, they need the additional revenue from champions league football because that just allows them to spend more money. So it really is a kind of vicious cycle for them. If they don't get champions league football again, this season, then it means they can spend less uh, in, you know, it's a rolling three year period basically where, you know, your revenue in that, in that last, in your last three years affects what you can then spend. So the one Champions League season will boost those finances, but if they don't have that on an annual basis, then there will come a time where they have to cut their spending the following season. So uh, they're probably the ones who needed it the most. Elsewhere, I don't know. I mean, I don't think. I think a lot of the clubs, obviously, City don't have a great need to kind of to spend. Uh, Liverpool, you know, they kind of do little bits and pieces of strengthening. Same goes for Arsenal really need a goal scorer. They weren't going to do that in this window, though. I mean, there was talk of them obviously trying to sign Tony, and seemingly they uh, weren't willing to splash the cash on that
0: front. But They shouldn't have bet on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah,
1: I think they're the club. They're, of the big clubs, they're the ones with the most obvious need in terms of their weakness. Um, some of the other clubs, you know, like Spurs are dealing with that difficult balance of players being away in the African Cup of Nations and the Asia Cup. Same even Liverpool obviously being affected by that, although it doesn't seem to be impacting their results. If anything, they're playing better football at the moment than they were a month ago. So uh, maybe they don't want Salah to come back right now. But uh, yeah, it's. I think Newcastle, they'll, there's a good chance that five years from now we look back and think Newcastle missed their opportunity to to really try and take a big step forward and that that the injection of Saudi money may not quite have the same long-term impact that we thought it was going to have considering the fact that they're up against other, you know, billionaire owners and clubs that generate huge revenues. Speaking of Saudi money though, we're not going to really talk live, uh, but speculation... Well, we'll kick things off. Speculation is rife that uh, Saudi Arabia will be investing money into the English premiership in rugby, so which has been going through a pretty hard time financially at the moment. Uh, clubs have gone out of business. There's been a cut to the salary cap that they have. A lot of England players are choosing to go, or not a lot, but a, a number of England players are choosing to go abroad to earn more money. You can go to the top 14 in France or Japan. Uh, there's certainly more money to be made elsewhere, and that obviously is fertile ground for Saudi Arabia to step in and say, hey, we've got all the money you need. Why don't we start taking over rugby as well? So I think probably not far off rugby clubs throwing around astro- astronomical amounts of money for in a totally non-sustainable way to to just pay people more so that they stay in England, but we'll see what happens. Rugby is obviously an interesting test case because it has the rules, depending on the country, different rules as to whether or not you're eligible to play for your international side. Like you cannot play for England in rugby, for example, if, unless you play in England. So the same goes for New Zealand. Uh, Wales, you had to have a minimum of 25 caps, I think. So 20 appeared for the Welsh national side 25 times, and then you could go abroad and still play for Wales. So it does vary from country to country, but it means that when you do have players choosing to go abroad, they are foregoing their international career. A lot of them do it like in the window between World Cups so they can go abroad, earn a lot of money for two years, come back, still make the team for the World Cup. But still, it's uh, an interesting situation the sport finds itself in
0: yeah that's so unique to rugby that they do that. I kind of like it, but at the same time, I kind of dislike it because it's like players maybe only have sometimes you know like a three year window where they're gonna be at the top of their game to make the most money, and their country's basically saying like, Well, no, you want to play for us and then and then you look like the asshole right if you don't play for your country when you're in your prime, oh yeah, so like you're in like a lose lose situation almost it's a little, like but I also slightly respect it a little bit, but not so much. I think I more lean towards players should be able to make as much money. Having said yeah. that, my okay, go ahead, go ahead, because my other comment's completely different. <laughs>
1: Going to take us to a different down a different path. Yeah, I do agree with you. It's tough, especially in a physical sport where your career can be ended pretty quickly through injury, and also the long term effect of playing a sport that's as high sort of contact as that is more you know like a 50 year old former rugby player looks different than a 50 year old former tennis player so the need to to earn that money is different but at the same time i get that trying to maintain the strength of your domestic league combined with the big reason for it too is that uh, the calendars are not synced in terms of from different leagues and so you can go abroad and play like say you go and take a contract to play for a club in japan it means you, you might not actually be available to play for England at certain moments in time because that league is not going on, you know, not making players available at the same time. That's the big argument they have as to why they do yeah. it is so that they can actually pick the team that they want to pick. But it puts, it definitely puts athletes in a tough spot. I don't know what I would do if a club came to, if I were an England player now and all of a sudden a team from France or Japan came and offered me triple my salary to leave. And I thought, okay, I'm going to miss out on a couple six nations, but I can, come back in two seasons to play in the next world cup i'm probably taking the bigger
0: salary yeah probably but my other question is and i know the answer is probably is never but at one point is the Saudi investment fund going to be overspread in professional sports that they're going to run out of money.
1: <laughs> yeah. This will be interesting. 50 years from now, they're just doomed. Like just Saudi Arabia broke. And just then collapsed. because of it,
0: all the professional sports collapse because they have, <laughs> yeah. they've infiltrated it so much.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. Right. Go and write your season of
0: black mirror based upon that, Frank. But uh, that's, I think that that's not a bad episode. <laughs>
1: But I think I think the fact that they can literally print their own money probably means that they're okay. But in similar news, I guess a slight blow to the PIF and to Saudi Arabia and their sports whitewashing that they're going through. Obviously, the PGA struck a deal with alternative investors to pump three billion dollars over the, co- the course of the next few years into the PGA Tour and the European Tour, um, which includes one point five million dollars of equity being made available to players who remained loyal to the PGA tour. Oh, nice. (laughs) It will obviously benefit the likes of Rory McIlroy and Tiger really needs that money. Yeah. Our favorite Victor Hovland, I'm sure will be one of the ones who benefits from this.
0: You know how many heavy metal concerts he can go to because of that? Oh, he can buy them all.
1: He's just going to own Slipknot as a result of this. But the thing I struggle with at a certain moment in time is like, are we just okay with golfers earning this much money? I mean, I know, I know we kind of already went through this discussion to a certain extent when all of the money was being discussed for the Live Golf, the hundreds of millions, verging on. I know the the, the offer to the Tiger Woods was, you know, reputed to be around a billion dollars, but. The sport doesn't make that much money. Like we've, we are all acknowledging are that the sure? economics. Yeah, we are.
0: <laughs> we're the
1: economics of this. Because then sport. how
0: has that not collapsed yet?
1: <laughs> but it will, right? We are just, we're just robbing from Peter to pay Paul a bit with this. Like you're taking, this is just like full start. So Paul's eventually
0: my... going to die, you're telling me. Yeah. Or eventually. Peter, we're robbing Peter.
1: <laughs> all of them. Peter and Paul are both dying. <laughs> They've but, been know, this dead is for full...
0: decades. <laughs>
1: Yes. This is full startup mentality, right? Of like, we're not profitable yet. But as long as we can have another funding round, things are okay. We can have an 18 month runway, and then we'll raise some more money, you know, 12 months from now, and we'll extend our life cycle.
0: Hey, you and, you live the startup life. You know, that's how you do it. Just keep yeah, raising to cover your losses until, yeah. until, you, until you become a Hulu documentary series.
1: That's when you know you've made it. That's when maybe that's why Netflix is starting to make all of these sports documentaries, not so much because they're that interested in the actual sports content, but so that they're getting all of the necessary content they need that when these leagues start collapsing, they'll be like, let's cut to this interview with uh, John Rom in 2023 when he just thought the world was his oyster.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's the end of the Saudi talk. We don't have to talk about live golf anytime soon. Probably.
0: Well, until I go to the tournament in Tucson.
1: Well, okay. So until you make the active decision to engage with the live golf tour, we don't have to discuss, it. I won't bring it up anytime soon. Fair. <laughs> Anything else from your own quick fire?
0: Oof, not much. Um, not much on the entertainment front either. I will say I've put together this like random list of movies that I want to watch. Anytime like a movie pops up in my head, I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that. Or like someone talks about one. I keep making this list and the list keeps getting longer and longer. But I've made an effort now to kind of at least once to twice a week to pick a movie or like if it's a TV show and start it. So this weekend, I watched Thelma and Louise, which I've never seen before. It's a Ridley Scott movie, uh, for those who don't know, which is why I I, I don't know why. I guess I've never seen it because it's old, right? It's 91, I believe, is when it was made. So I guess it was kind of before my time. And then it was one of those ones that I never picked up on when I went to college or something like that. But I always just thought it was unique because it's Ridley Scott and it's about kind of two women on the run a little bit. Like, it's not a traditional Ridley Scott movie. It was really good. It's just funny, as you watch movies that are now, what, 30 years old, how much slower they are. Like, it's crazy now when you watch a movie how fast things move in the movie. Like, within 15 minutes, you're expected to have understood that these two people have been you know, in a relationship for 15 years, blah, blah, blah. But like, back then, everything just took time to develop. And there are scenes where it's like, why are we still on this scene? Like, come on. But it was just a different time. And it's, sometimes I like it. uh, But then last night, we watched 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is, you know, regarded as like one of the classic movies of all time. It's a phenomenal movie. But there are scenes that are like, 15 minutes long, and you're just like, this could be 10 seconds. Like, we get it.
1: <laughs> well, then I suggest you watch dances with Wolves next, then you'll really get those extended long stories. put it on the list?
0: To...
1: <laughs> You've not have you seen it?
0: I think I've seen it. I have no recollection of it.
1: Well. I mean you could say that. We could just have that as a blanket statement for pretty much everything within your <laughs> life, Frank.
0: That could just be.
1: I should make that a media clip that we
0: use. But uh, No, movies yeah, so. I remember pretty well. That's one thing I do remember, movies and TV shows.
1: Speaking of TV shows, I think this is, if I've got this right, a TV show that you watched as a kid. Monk? What show? Monk? Were you a monk oh, person?
0: A weird-looking guy? No.
1: <laughs> okay yeah, Tony Chaloupe, yeah okay I don't know if it's, someone sorry in our sorry,
0: film, sorry to whoever that is
1: <laughs> unnecessary shots fired at a very popular actor but um,
0: look all right let me he's unique looking
1: <laughs> I don't think he's that weird looking in the care in the tv show he's obviously uh an interesting character um I I never watched Monk uh as a kid or when it was on tv I should say but I do, it's fallen into the YouTube clips that I watch. Oh, wow. Uh, where, where it does, yeah, the quick like edits the episode down to sort of six minutes and you get to see the both the crime and then how he solves it. And obviously Monk is not supposed to be taken as a serious crime solving, uh, you know, murder mystery. That being said, the number of times that the, when he starts to figure out who probably did it, And he starts to throw this random, mostly circumstantial evidence at them to tell them why he believes they are now the, they were the the person who carried out the murder. The number of times that that person responds to, yeah, but you can't prove it, which I think (laughs) if you're ever in a situation where you're being accused of murder and the words, you can't prove it, come out of your mouth. I you've put yourself into a
0: lot of trouble. (laughs) That does happen in a lot of movies, though. That is a huge movie cliche.
1: Yeah, and look, people probably say it in real life because it's like when you watch the, the the like recordings from interrogations. People are a lot dumber than you think they are. People will, especially when they feel confident, they'll get themselves into a lot of trouble. But that's our legal advice for the for the week. If any of our listeners are occur are accused of murder in the ne- in the coming days, never don't say you can't prove it.
0: I have to say, I have you now to thank, well, partly you and partly because I think you're watching it because the same reason a lot of other people are watching it, because the last season of Curb is due to air. I have now just vigorously been going through Curb episodes. Like whenever I have, like if I'm eating lunch, I'll just put it on in the background. Or like if I'm doing work at home, I'll just put it on in the background. I, like, that is, I think, the humor that I most closely resonate with. Because it's two different types of humor he does in it. He does like the situational lead up humor where it kind of comes together for like something at the end. But then there's also just like fucking phenomenal one liners he throws in there that you don't even like remember or or think about again that are just so funny. Like just the one that's coming to mind now is when there's the... where... uh. He's interacting with women in his neighborhood that are at, like, the, uh, like, the half, not a halfway house, but, like, a, a house for women who have been in domestic abuse, and they go to this house, like, a bunch of them together, and then I think she calls them, they used to be, like, battered women's homes or something like that. She's like, we don't use that term anymore, whatever, and then as they're just having a conversation, it's him and the woman who runs the home. He's like, so, uh... So uh, what's the situation over there in that sorority house? <laughs> like, he just calls it a sorority. It's so good. Like these just throwaway comments he makes that are just fucking hysterical. There's so many of them that he'll do that are just like great little one-liners that you know are improv, but are just so funny.
1: No, it's true. I actually think that's why of like um, the loss of Bob Einstein. Like, He's oh. Einstein and not Einstein, right? He's so um, good it's a, in it. Is a blow because he falls into that category. The things that he would say. The one that stuck out from the rewatching that I've sort of been going through is when they're trying to make up when they when he has the idea of showing up to a party the day after the party to claim that he had the wrong date as yeah. a way of like getting out of attending the party. And they they show up to his house and and then the character Jeff copies him, so they're all of them are stuck there and trying to make excuses to leave. And one of them is talking about how they have to go home and help their daughter make puppets. And then uh, Larry David is saying how he has to go because his dad is sick. And then like the throwaway comments is, that they can enjoy themselves tonight, and tomorrow they can take the puppets to perform for his sick dad. Like he just like weaves it, he like weaves it together. And again, it's like you you just see the like you know it was an improvised line, and the quickness in terms of connecting the two yeah. things is is impressive.
0: No, the other one that uh, that comes to mind with with um, Einstein, right? Not Einstein, though. You said Einstein. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. Einstein. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he does. There's uh, a season. There's a season where, where Larry's getting divorced and they all want to get divorced, but they meet up with, um, uh, Louis and Louis is dating a burlesque dancer who has like huge breasts and they're all sitting at like lunch and they're talking and like, they're making fun of him because that's the only reason he's dating her. And he's like, no, she's, she's really smart. She's sophisticated, blah, blah, blah. And then it like kind of passes for like maybe 20 seconds and then and then uh Funkhauser looks at him and like really seriously he starts it off being like so have you guys uh sat down and decided a time when you're actually going to look at her face <laughs> and it's just like so good cuz he's really good at starting off with something being like serious and then just throws the joke in like you don't expect it it was so fucking good and everyone you could tell it was improvised cuz everyone just dies laughing and then they end the scene like that's the end of the scene cuz they must not have been able to like control it but it's the same with that joke he tells Jerry uh when he first meets Jerry was completely improvised and like all Jerry genuinely thought it was hysterical and that was his actual reaction to laughing which is a phenomenal joke
1: yeah well that that ends our little Curb your enthusiasm, favorite moments. I get obviously for our listeners who are hoping for our reactions to the latest episode of uh, the true detective. Unfortunately, my fault, I have not watched <laughs> this week's episode, but next week we will do our little catch up on, yeah, I guess what episode three and four would that be? Yep, so gives our our listeners time to make sure that they have their house in order and that they have watched all of the latest episodes.
0: Yeah. It's so I won't spoil anything for episode three, but I will say having already now seen three episodes and halfway through the season, this is either going to be good or this is going to be a letdown. (laughs) because there is a lot to weave with only three more episodes left.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was, that was already evident, right? We discussed it even from the first couple of episodes that it felt like things were moving kind of slowly and not a bad way, but in a bad way when you don't have a lot of time to wrap up the, the various storylines. I don't know if you saw, there were a lot of fan theories though that have come out about how the connections between this season and season one, did you see any of these?
0: Yeah, I've I've seen all of them, <laughs> and
1: basically most of them have been uh, disputed.
0: Uh, well, what? So okay, so which ones you're talking about? Because a few have actually been confirmed.
1: So one of them is that the sort of ghostly figure that guides the one is woman Russ to Cole's the bodies. father. Yes. Yeah. And that supposedly has been.
0: No, that supposedly is accurate because people like if you go back to season one, Russ Cole says he grew up in Alaska and his father died of leukemia. And people are kind of saying like it's almost definitely him. The annoying part is people are like, oh, does that mean Matthew McConaughey is going to be on the show? And it's like, one, no. And two, that would be so fucking stupid. Like that would make me fully out on the show if he just appeared for an episode like, you don't need that. And that- news.
1: Season episode five. Oh, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people appears. will be upset.
0: Because then then you're literally just reaching for that, like, what? I wouldn't even call it nostalgia. The show's only 10 years old. <laughs> but, like, whatever you want to say, you know?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm trying to place... Because season one of True Detective, right, was... It wasn't set in entirely the modern day, right? It was sort of feel like it was set in the 80s or 90s, season one of True Detective, maybe the 90s. So I'm just trying to piece together like how old Matthew McConaughey would be in this timeline, if you see what I mean. Like he would be in his, I'm presuming he, except then I guess the old woman was like so the So it was set
0: 95, season one. was set 95.
1: And he seemed firmly in his 40s. It actually doesn't make sense when you think about it. <laughs> like if you because because if you then try and think that means, let's say he was forty and ninety five, so that would mean he'd be, uh, you know, in his late 60s. let Let's say he's in his late sixties in this universe.
0: Okay. That means
1: his da- and his dad was like the lover of that woman who's probably early to mid seventies. Yeah. So they're saying that Matthew McConaughey's dad in this universe had him when he was like twelve. It's just a little wiggle room. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of wiggle room, though. No.
0: Yeah, and there's also the other connection is the Salal Station is being funded by the Tuttle Corporation, which is the group of people that were like kind of in the underground scenes in season one, kind of running the government.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I never love those types of Easter eggs that people put in sort of purely for the sake of the internet basically. It feels yeah. like at times. But yeah. It's so We'll see.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm hopeful. Those... I'm still hopeful.
1: I'm hopeful. I mean, I've I've enjoyed every season yeah. of True Detective even though a lot of them have been heavily criticized. So, yeah, I'm 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 still optimistic that this one will be good.
0: All right. Any other topics
1: to cover before we wrap things up?
0: No, I don't think I really have anything else. I'm going to another Arizona basketball game on Sunday. They are quickly dropping down the charts since since we saw them.
1: (laughs) I watched this really interesting breakdown statistical breakdown of the correlation between speed at which you play and um like field goal percentage and then where how that correlates to good performance in the in march madness and basically arizona although statistically are very good their speed of play is super fast Too and fast. basically and yeah they okay. based on historical performance it doesn't line up well for the University of Arizona because okay. basically the argument is if you play at that speed, you actually increase the chances of just things going against you. Lock you I just create lock <laughs> yes or momentum even potentially, but that just you know if a team gets hot and starts hitting those threes or if your shooting falls apart, you're sort of not the pace of play actually starts to hurt you as you perform
0: badly, but. So, was, uh, so when I go there Sunday, I got just keep yelling, slow down. Yeah. Slow, people down, slow defense, down. I'll be on the other side and be like, slow down. <laughs> ch- ch- slow exactly. down. <laughs> yeah.
1: Make sure they use at least 20 seconds of the shot clock.
0: It's kind of like the Patrick Mahomes defense theory, which I don't buy. So maybe I don't buy this theory.
1: <laughs> maybe you don't. I mean, this one isn't, this one's less of a theory and more of a statistical certitude, I suppose, but. <laughs> uh whether or not that will whether or not it can be used to predict future performance i guess is the is the question but certainly in terms of analyzing historical performance it's pretty accurate now i don't go into enough detail when it comes to statistics of college basketball to know whether you kind of cherry the person presenting these it's sort of cherry picked the statistics that supported their argument like that's always the thing you have to be cautious of right
0: we will st- Kind of be attending a Six Nations match. We won't be in the stadium, but we'll be in the city.
1: Oh, a few weeks from now. Yes, yeah.
0: a few weeks from now. Yeah,
1: yeah, we will be in Dublin for a at the same time that a Six Nations match is is taking place. Yes,
0: and we'll be going for a stag party. So I think maybe at this point, Eddie, we ask the listeners if they have a great stag party story or or like tradition or thing that they did, maybe send us send us a little message, let us know, and we can discuss them, because I think we should discuss a few ideas going into this party, which is going to be quite large, and we'll have some opportunity for some unique things to happen.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it will be in Dublin. So I guess this in particular, if you have suggestions on stag slash bachelor party activities in Dublin, that would be even better. But if not, suggestions for groups of Thirty plus people that would also be useful. <laughs> Keep that in to mind. thirty people. <laughs> yeah, you know, like we're close to fielding a full NFL team. So if that's like one of the suggestions is to start your own franchise and try and enter enter the league next season, that could be considered. But yeah, it's uh, it's. So be we
0: discussed much earlier, I guess, like uh, probably a few months ago, when we were first discussing the stag party that we want to test out the Venmo idea of like Venmo us some money to buy drinks and this and that. I'm going to start it up. How do we attack this? Do we just put it like on Instagram and let all of our friends reshare it so that their friends can tap into it? Do we like post it (laughs) like on social medias? Do we print t-shirts out? What do you think we should do?
1: I think it's got to be the t-shirt. As I said, the issue with the Venmo, right, is that it's not a European thing. So you can What gonna about to... Irish? What do you mean? Did do, do Irish people have Venmo? Yeah. No, it's a purely American thing. Okay. So you'd have to do like PayPal or something. I don't know what you'd have to come up with to you'd have to do like a QR code with for PayPal? Maybe. I think PayPal at least it's universal. It's so should like I a make a
0: shirt bit... with like fourteen different QR codes for every type of <laughs> like bank transferring system available? <laughs>
1: <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I don't know if you I, I, I was it came to mind the other day I was watching like a thing on YouTube about some college student who held up his Venmo details uh, at college game day a couple of seasons ago. No, like beer, he held up this sign. He was like directly behind. I remember the, that. And he got over a million dollars. What? Yeah. So he held I was watching this so he held up this sign behind it said Bushlight supply needs replenished and then included his Venmo username and in total got over a million dollars from it.
0: Holy shit. So we got to do that,
1: which is unbelievable.
0: <laughs> at what at what level of money if we make during the stag trip, do we not tell the other 27 members of the stag party we've got this money and we just keep it just ourselves? Like $10? <laughs> If it can buy me a breakfast, I'm not telling anybody. Yeah.
1: Now, admittedly, this guy did switch this campaign where eventually it became raising money for charity. So that's part of the reason why I think he raised as much as he did once it started to take off. But uh, yeah, it's what it's about GoFundMe?
0: Do Europeans have GoFundMe?
1: Yeah, they do. I don't know if people. Yeah, you could do a GoFundMe for a right. Yeah, you could do it that way. I don't know how easy. GoFundMe it is to will create. take
0: a. They'll take a chunk. They'll take a decent chunk. Yeah. Don't Maybe that'll be that. the smallest QR code. We'll start at the top. Like, if you have Venmo, use this. And then a little smaller one will be like, if not, use it. Just put a little, a
1: little letterbox on the back so you can just slip actual cash in.
0: <laughs> no, just make the back of his shirt super sticky. And then you just slap <laughs> it on his back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not good, though, because Euro's not, uh, no. not plastic money. So they'll rip shit yeah no it's uh it'll Pay, be interesting i i don't think, think we would get much i think paypal would work i think the di- the difficulty with paypal the, the advantage of venmo right is it's so like ubiquitous ubiquitous in the united states that people are used to the idea of like venmoing each other and so whereas you don't think of like if i said you know like getting through the like paypal me money it's like a little bit more of a hassle people yeah. aren't doing it all the time so i think that's the the downside is it's just not quite but you just the same thing just doesn't
0: exist but i think i think if we put the venmo out on social media and then all like everyone shares it i think we get a good amount of money i know at least 3 or 4 of my family members that would throw in some money
1: yeah i think oh no i don't doubt if everyone just put it on their on their instagram story that you're getting probably at least I'd be disappointed if you got less than a hundred dollars.
0: Yeah. And that would get us half a round of drinks for the group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's where or it, it pays the, for my dinners. <laughs> that's where the politics of who's controlling that Venmo becomes interesting.
0: Oh, it's me. Especially it's if, for sure me.
1: Especially if it's like some guy being like, hey, I heard my parents just Venmo'd you $600. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know who sent what.
0: Yeah. Actually, I honestly think what we do is, like, we just collect it all, and then at the end of the trip, I just Venmo everyone, like, a cut of the money. (laughs) I think that's the easiest way to do that. Yeah, maybe. But no, it will
1: be uh, interesting to see. But yeah, I think we can. If you're just – if you're really – I think that's less fun, right? Like the thing you want is random people on the street contributing into it or thinking it's cool. If it's just sort of fundraising from friends and family who think it's sort of a gimmick, that's kind of less interesting, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. The on the street will be good. We'll 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 get a t-shirt going. All right, I guess with that, uh, we'll call it a day. Sounds good. All
1: right, we're good. So-